0: We open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John. We're going to look at the very end of John's Gospel over the course of the next several weeks, taking us through Easter and a couple weeks beyond. And so turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. This will be page 1075 in the Bible that's in front of you. At the end of John's Gospel, the disciples meet the risen Lord. The one who was crucified, they now hear has been raised from the dead. So over these coming weeks, we're going to look at these resurrection appearances of Jesus to see how his resurrection changes everything. It changes his disciples, and it should change us. And so listen as I read John 19, John 20, verses 19 through 23. This is John 20 at verse 19. receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of God for us, his church. I invite you to bow your head with me in prayer. God of grace and mercy, we pray for your strength, for your sustaining work here among your church that we would be encouraged in the hope of the gospel, strengthened by the power of Jesus and the ministry of your Holy Spirit in our midst. Lord, for those who listen today to your word, whether here in the sanctuary or joining with us in the live stream, those who, who join with us who do not know your love and your mercy, Lord, I pray that they would now trust in you, that they would hear the gospel and understand it, They would would respond to your love. Lord, for those of us that follow after Christ, strengthen us in the power of your truth that we might be bold in sharing the gospel with a world that needs to hear your good news. Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name, amen. It's been a crazy day. The morning started when Mary came running to the disciples with the claim They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, then run to the tomb only to find it empty, with the grave clothes left behind. But Mary stayed at the tomb, weeping. Now she returns to the disciples with the outrageous explanation, I have seen the Lord. And yet the disciples, on the evening of that first day of the week, where are they? Look, Look again at verse 19 in John's Gospel, chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. The disciples are in a locked room without Jesus. They're there because they are afraid. And you and I know something of fear. Not only the fear of our nightmares when you wake up in a cold sweat, afraid you haven't studied for the test. Well, that maybe it's not even on the schedule because you're not in class anymore. Or the, the, the fear of a, of a project that, that keeps you up late at night that's still yet unfinished at work. For many of us, our fears aren't, aren't hypothetical. They're real. They press upon us bills beyond our ability to pay that date on the calendar which is circled for that upcoming medical test relationships in your life that have been fractured a, a global war sickness all around you you and i know something of what it's like to live filled with fear now the disciple's fear we're told is that they are they're behind a locked door for fear of the jews Now, of course, that doesn't mean of all Jews. It's not that they're afraid of all Jews because they themselves, everyone who is locked behind these doors, is himself or herself Jewish. So so what is John talking about? He's talking about the specific religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who had brought about and instigated the crucifixion of Jesus. See, the disciples' fear is real. It's understandable. It's legitimate here. Because remember, what have the Jews— again, John's shorthand for the religious leaders— what have they just done in the last couple of days? When Pilate, the Roman governor, was there presiding over the trial of Jesus and, and, and wants to release Jesus, so he brings him out before the, the crowds, saying, should I release to you Jesus? And, and we, we read, this is back in chapter 18 of John's Gospel, that the crowds shouted, no, not him, give us Barabbas. John adds the footnote for us that Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. The Jews didn't want Jesus, an innocent, gentle, generous teacher, to be released. They wanted, they wanted Pilate to let Barabbas go, the murderer, insurrectionist, the violent man. Let him go. At the instigation of the Jews, the religious leaders, the crowds, when Pilate, again, having gone back and questioned Jesus, comes back out in chapter 19 to ask them, well, well, shouldn't I let Jesus go? We read that the chief priests and the officials got the crowds to shout, crucify, crucify. And now the disciples have real reason to fear If they are attached to Jesus, then their lives are at risk. See, it would would be bad enough if for the disciples that they just looked at in this moment on the first day of the week and and looked back on the last three years of their lives and said, boy, that was a waste. I left my job. I left everything behind. I left my family and I followed Jesus. And it turns out, well, he wasn't worth following. He's dead. He's dead. That would be enough to, to cause fear of, well, what do I do now? Where could I possibly go? My, my job is gone. My family, if I show back up. My, the people in my hometown who know that I follow Jesus, if I show back up. How could I show my face back at home again? That would be enough to bring anxiety and, and fear. But the, the fear, it goes, goes beyond that. Their very lives are at risk that because they were connected to Jesus, because their names are attached to him, because they are known as his disciples, they might be thrown to the wolves. They might hear the crowds shout for their deaths as well. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Now I wrote this sermon a week ago, knowing that this past week as my family prepared for my dad's memorial service that that it would be a a busy week. Problem is writing a sermon and preaching a sermon, well, those are, are different things. Because we know what it is like to feel like we're locked behind doors in fear. What hope do I have here? We know what it's like to be in a locked room without Jesus. But I've only read to you half of verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace. with you. The locked doors remind us of the fear of the disciples, that they want to keep the Jews out. They're trying to protect themselves, but it also shows us something of of the miraculous event that's happening here. The doors are locked, and yet Jesus stands in their midst and says, Peace, be with you. Now that phrase would have been a a common one, the kind of phrase that you would say even as you pass people on the street, Shalom, peace. A a common, ordinary greeting, and yet on this day, in a room locked, a room oppressed by fear, when Jesus stands and says, peace be with you, it's not merely in passing, the kind of flippant statement you say as you wave to your neighbor. This is the Savior of the world, the one who was dead, who now lives, saying, peace be with you. The shalom of God, the peace which comes from God and is offered by God is now yours. Because there's the difference between being in a locked room without Jesus and a locked room with Jesus. See, nothing on the outside has changed. The threat is still there, their lives will still be at risk. Actually, there'll be a greater risk now that they'll be bold enough to share this message. But to be in a locked room with Jesus offers you real peace. A peace which looks forward to the fullness of the kingdom of Jesus when everything that has gone wrong will be made right. When his authority is known everywhere. When when he wipes from our eyes every one of our tears. Because the kingdom comes through the risen king. The peace that Jesus offers is not a mere wistful peace but a peace that comes from the powerful presence of Jesus himself. It's not a temporary peace, but a peace that will last now and forever. It's the unqualified well-being, as one commentator says, of living in the goodness of God's protection, in the kingdom of God, the full riches of God's promise, now here in the risen Christ. Peace be with you. I mean, John actually points back in verse 21 that that Jesus said it again so that they would understand what was being offered to them. The door is locked, but the Savior is now here. With this announcement of, of peace, we then read in verse 20 that Jesus shows them the evidence that he is the one who had died but who has been raised from the dead. Look at verse 20. After he said this, after Jesus said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and side. He showed them the wounds where nails had pierced his flesh. He showed them his side where the spear had entered him to, to prove that he had died on the cross. Jesus, the one who stands and offers them peace, is the one who had been crucified. He is the flesh and blood redeemer raised from the dead who offers them peace. And yet, it's still, even today, to us. Much as it must have to them, because Jesus has to repeat his statement, it sounds incredible, unbelievable. How could you believe that that could happen? We saw him die. We're here in a locked room. I had a conversation with a friend this week who, who went talking about Jesus, and he brought, the convers- he brought the topic up. He said, but you know, I don't believe in fairy tales. And he put the story of Jesus into the category that you would find in in Mother Goose nursery rhymes. A fairy tale, the kind of thing that it's nonsensical. No thinking, right-minded person would believe this kind of story. Only the naive or uneducated would believe in something like a resurrection. Now, it might be helpful to, to stop and say, as, as he was trying to draw a contrast between faith and knowledge, to help him understand the, the reality that we all believe some things on faith. And faith, religious faith, is not, me, is not the absence of knowledge. It's a belief rooted in knowledge. And so, so the conversation here in, well, in the locker room, it was, mostly about epistemology. How do we know what we know and how can we know what we know is true? I mean, one of the other guys commented, he said, I showed up for a hockey game and a theology lecture breaks out. But but it's also important to note that what is it that helps the disciples believe? They don't take this on blind faith. They have evidence for what is right here declared to us that the one who died has been raised from the dead. First, they heard the testimony of Mary, who said, the tomb is empty. They heard the witness of Mary when she came back after having met with Jesus. I have seen the Lord. Jesus, who is dead, is alive. I have seen him. He is declared to be the Lord. They went and saw the tomb themselves, and now they see, as verse 20 tells us, Jesus in the flesh They see the evidence of the crucifixion. They have the tangible presence of Christ in front of them to show them the the truth of the gospel, that Jesus really has been raised from the dead. See, they're not believing in fairy tales. If it was only a fairy tale, they would have brushed it aside and said, that does nothing to change the fact that I'm in a locked room worried for my life. No, they have reason to believe historical, theological, personal, physical evidence right in front of them that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And you and I have that. We have it here in the word of God, the witness to the truth that Jesus was dead but has been raised from the dead. And so to believe this is not wishful thinking in fairy tales. It's knowing the true story that is at the heart of human existence. The most important fact in history that Jesus died, and Jesus has been raised to life again. And so Jesus stands. His presence, the evidence of the resurrection, shows them his hands and his side. And those who were locked in a room of fear, look at their reaction now. Look again at verse 20. After Jesus said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed, when they saw the Lord. They were overjoyed. See, it's not just that they saw Jesus, this kind, gentle, peasant teacher there. They see him as Lord. They saw the Lord. This is the very point to which John's gospel has been driving, that you and I would be able to declare, my Lord and my God, To say that Jesus, the one who who taught us the truth, is the one who died to take our sins. The one who's been raised from the dead, who, who through the resurrection is declared to be Lord. The disciples are repeating the very message that they heard from Mary. I have seen the Lord. They have now seen the Lord, and they are filled with joy. So you and I need the peace that Jesus gives. You and I need the comfort. When we are trapped by fear and anxiety, we need to know that Jesus is there with us in the locked room to move us from fear to joy. And so the the call from John's gospel is for you to put your trust in Jesus today, to see the evidence as it's laid out in the gospel of John, to declare him to be Lord, to throw yourself upon the mercy of God in, in complete and absolute trust, that Jesus has done everything to forgive you of your sins. And so today, come and meet Jesus. Find his peace, his peace for you right now, his peace which lasts forever in the kingdom that he brings. Jesus died for your sins. He has been raised from the dead to give you life. The disciples started in a room that was locked without Jesus. They now have Jesus there in the locked room with them. And perhaps that's where we could end the sermon. We were in the locked room of fear without Jesus. Now we are in the locked room of joy with Jesus. And think how wonderful that transformation is. And if you've put your trust in Christ, that's the transforming work of the gospel, the power of the resurrection for you today. And so that would be a good place to end the sermon. Except Jesus doesn't leave us in a locked room, He sends us out the door with His power. See, in joy, you and I can now leave the locked room of our fear and respond in joy and gratitude to the work of Jesus Christ, to to see that he died for us so that we can share this message with others. Because Jesus sends his disciples outside of the room with his power. Each of the Gospels, each of the four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus has a commissioning, a sending out of the disciples. And we have it here in John's Gospel on the evening of that first day of the week. Jesus, he repeats to them in verse 21. Again, he says, peace be with you. And then he sends them. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. To receive the joy of salvation means you are one who has been sent by Jesus to share that good news with others. It's not enough for you to keep that joy inside yourself, even in, in, in responding to the fear in your life. It's a joy that has to be shared with others. Can you believe what Jesus has done? Let me tell you, I know it's true. Jesus gave his life for me. And so John sends the commissioning of, his, of the disciples here on the day of the resurrection. Now, in the other Gospels, it, it comes later. In Luke's Gospel, you have the account in Luke of the resurrection, and then it's, it's 50 days later on Pentecost that the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And it's not that John has the chronology mixed up here that he doesn't remember when, when, when was the Holy Spirit given to us. No, he and his readers have all read the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. The Gospel of John written much later than the other three Gospels. No, what, what, what John is doing is saying, you know the chronology because you've read it in Luke, that, that Jesus was raised, he taught us, he was with us for 40 days, and then, and then he ascended to heaven, and then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. You know the history, the chronology. What John is doing is making the theological point that you and I are sent in the power of the Holy Spirit because of the resurrection. And so when Jesus gives them a brief summary on the day of resurrection— that will be explained and enacted later on in in the coming weeks john just puts it all here because theologically it reminds us the resurrection changes everything you move from fear to joy you are you you move from being one who's behind a locked door afraid to one who goes out with boldness the, and, and these disciples will soon be arrested their lives at at risk but no longer in fear Because they're not just inside a locked room with Jesus, they are sent outside the room by Jesus. And so Jesus says to them in verse 22, receive the Holy Spirit. That even though Jesus won't be with them, and and remember, he he spent the final hours of his earthly ministry explaining he was going to give them the Holy Spirit, that he would not abandon them, but that God himself, the Holy Spirit, would be with them to empower them. This is their commissioning. See, the gospel goes forth not because of the the great witness of the disciples, not because of their eloquence or their boldness. It goes forth by the power of God's Holy Spirit. God is the one who does the work of bringing people to salvation. It is not on the strength of the disciples. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. They are the ones sent, verse 23 tells us, to, to forgive sins. Again, not by their strength, but they're the ones that now have the message of forgiveness. Because Jesus died, your sins can be forgiven. So if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. If you forgive anyone their sins, Jesus says, by declaring the gospel and seeing people respond, then their sins are forgiven. If they look for any other way to have their sins forgiven, then their sins won't be forgiven. That's the commission given to the church. Make sure people know how they can be made right with God. That it's through the death of Jesus, through his resurrection from the dead. But John gives us, in verse 22, a little detail about about this commissioning. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. He tells us about the forgiveness that comes. But look at the detail there at the beginning of, of verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them. Now, of course, the disciples and John reflecting on this would have thought back to the breath of God at the very beginning of history. In the beginning of of the Bible, in in Genesis, in the very second chapter of the Bible, in creation, when God forms Adam out of the dust of the ground, we're told that that in, in Genesis 2 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Jesus breathed on his disciples. He is the creator who breathes life where there was not life. This language of of breath, the the breath of God giving life, is is picked up by the prophets. Think in the the book of Ezekiel, that most famous vision that Ezekiel has of a valley filled with dry bones. It's it's a horrific image of a battle, a, a, a devastating defeat so great that there was no one left to drag the dead bodies from the battlefield and bury them. So the dead bodies are left out, having been, been killed, so that their, their flesh is, is pulled away by scavengers, their bones left in the dry uh, sun to, 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 to dry out. And, and Ezekiel says, Ezekiel's given a vision of what does the breath of God look like? What does salvation look like? It looks like God breathing Onto dry bones, and those bones come to life. They're given flesh and new life. In in Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 9 through 10, this is what we read God tells Ezekiel, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, Son of Man, and say to the breath, This is what the sovereign Lord says Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath. Entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. The breath of God, a picture of creation, that you and I have life only because God breathed on us. The breath of God, a picture of, of salvation, that you and I have new life only because God breathed on us. And so when, when John gives us that detail, and with that, he breathed on them. He's reminding us that Jesus is the creator. The word who was in the beginning with God, the word who is God, the one who made all things by his power and for his glory. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the one who offers us new life, a new birth through his breath, the breath that he offers to us. But again, that detail, which shows us the greatness and the vastness and the grandeur of Jesus as the creator, as the savior, it also reminds us that he has been raised from the dead. Jesus breathes. The corpse which was taken down from the cross and laid in a tomb has been brought back from the dead. Jesus breathed. Them. The church has given the mission to share the good news that we have peace with God, the forgiveness of sins. We have the message of new life because Jesus has the power to forgive and he has sent us to declare that message. He has given us the privilege of making this gospel known. One of the real serious and studious Baptist pastors at the church I grew up in led a man to Christ, a man that he described as a dangerous man. Now, since my dad knew how to deal with dangerous men from his years of being a city police officer, he was invited to come along to the second meeting. Now, the, the man was a huge man, 6'5". He was a tattoo artist, so, so every inch of him was covered in tattoos. And he was so big that, that you, didn't, you didn't charge... You didn't charge by the, the, the square inch. I mean, it was the square yard that covered this man's flesh. And so these two little Baptist pastors walk into Riviera Pizza, the restaurant in my hometown, with, with this enormous man. They're there to help him learn what it does it look like to follow after Jesus, having put your trust in Christ. I mean, this is the kind of man that if you saw him, you would pull your kids a little bit closer. The kind of man that you thought, like, I hope he doesn't look at me. The wrong way and so as they sit down at the table the the man says let's pray but he doesn't have an inside voice so every person in the restaurant stops what they're doing they put the phone order on hold they stop ringing up at the cashier and everyone goes silent because if he's going to pray and he's demanding it i think we should all bow our heads Now my dad said that, that this man then prayed a prayer filled with tender joy. God, I thank you that you would save me. I don't deserve your love, God, but you sent Jesus to die for my sins. God, I thank you that you sent these pastors to teach me how to live for you. God, I want everybody to know that you love them. Amen. And my dad said, everyone in the room repeated, Amen. <laughs> so you and I have the privilege, from the moment we understand the gospel, of making the gospel known. And maybe you won't do it with a big booming voice that forces everyone in a restaurant to bow in prayer with you. Maybe yours will be in the tender conversations that happen with a, a classmate who's desperate for someone to notice them and care. Maybe it will happen with a coworker whose life feels like it's spiraling out of control, and you can say, I have hope for you. I found peace with God. The fear that that, that is crushing you, you can set it aside because Jesus the Savior comes and says to you, Peace be with you. Without Jesus, the disciples would have been left in the locked room of their fear. But Jesus came and offered them peace. He sent them then with the message of forgiveness. That forgiveness is here, right here in God's word for you today, this morning. Your sins can be forgiven now. Jesus, the Savior, died and has been raised again. And making that message known then, church, that's our mission. To share with others this good news. It's been a crazy day, that first day of the week. It started with an empty tomb trapped in a room filled with their fear. But Jesus came and Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you for the hope of your word, for the good news of the gospel which transforms our lives, that we can know you are the God who loves us, that you are the one who has forgiven us, that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And so, Lord, I pray that those who, who wrestle with this truth would find in your word today salvation, that they would find in this announcement their hope of eternal life, the forgiveness of sins. And, Lord, I pray that we as a church would be bold in declaring this gospel truth to all who will listen, to our loved ones, our neighbors, our classmates, our teammates, that they would hear the good news of Jesus and that they themselves would find peace. God, as you sent Jesus, send us into the world with this message of salvation. We pray in the name of our Savior Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.